All right, folks uh, listening live or coming in later, the, welcome to Call and Shots. Uh, this is Seth Part. Now, I am joined today by uh, my colleague at The Athletic, uh, Nets beat writer, who has uh, had a uh, longer offseason than perhaps he expected at any point this year, Alex Schiffer. Alex, uh, thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me. And you are correct at that. I was not expecting to be off right now. I'm not complaining, but uh, certainly was not in the books. Yeah, when we last we last spoke kind of right after the trade deadline and we noted then that it was already had already been a eventful, tumultuous, chaotic, pick a word, uh season for the Nets. Um didn't seem like it got better from there. Uh no, I uh uh the best way to put it because uh it certainly stayed that way, I think I mean, the Ky- Kyrie was still part time. Obviously, the the Ben Simmons drama kind of replaced the Kyrie drama once the mandate got lifted. So, no, we never uh, we never really got any sort of uh, calm waters at any point in the second half of the season. And it's it's hard to say that it. I so the, whenever the playoffs happen, I get I. This is ex- about the point where I start to get a little peevish about kind of the. That well, that's why this happened. Narrative about you know why a given team wins or loses a, a series, but um, it's hard to say that 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 all that did not contribute to to uh, the Nets ultimately getting swept by the Celtics. Um, however, is that is that almost giving too much credit to the to the circumstances and not enough to say hey that, that hey without Ben Simmons and with with uh, Seth Curry hobbled and no Joe Harris. They also just were kind of out talented by Boston, or is it just more that they just were not ever on the same page? Yeah, I, I think it's definitely both. You know, I think people are forgetting that even though the Nets were swept, I want to say the stat was, you know, the the combined four games of the series were decided by a combined eighteen points. So it's yeah. not like they were like any of these games were blowouts or anything like that. But you know, I mean. We, we've all said as a beat, just making small talk, that if Jason Tatum takes one extra dribble in game one and doesn't hit that game winner, uh, this series probably goes, you know, six or seven games. So I, I, I think the lack of continuity and the drama and all of that definitely, definitely contributed to the early exit. But I also think that, you know, a lot of this stuff comes down to... Um, comes down to luck sometimes. I think the Nets were just had luck not on their side in the individual games in some cases, in addition to just all of this stuff catching up with them. Yeah, I think that's, I, th- I think that's fair. Um, I, I will say that, that, you know, it, that while, you know, 18 points is, I believe the second quote closest sweep of, of all time. I think the, the heat beat the, Pacers by 16 points over four games. I think you're right. Or something like that a couple years ago. Um, uh, you do have to say that a couple of the games ended up, the final score didn't really represent the degree to which Boston was kind of in, in on cruise control for most of the fourth quarter. That said, there were no blowouts. It, it was not like Brooklyn got completely outclassed in the game. But I think it's fair to say, especially in hindsight of a second-round series, that Boston was the better team. That said... Why was Boston the better team? Starting with with Kevin Durant, um, you know that that should be a good place to start to to have the better team matchups. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you got to tip your hat to Ime Udoka. You know, he, the, the game plan they had for Kevin taking him out of his element, I mean, you know, I, I haven't covered Kevin as long as, you know, some of our colleagues like Anthony Slater or Marcus Thompson, but that, that was the first time I really saw him kind of rattled, if, if that's even the word to use. Like, I, you know, clearly Ime knew what he was doing, and, you know, I think it got to a point in the season where Kevin kind of knew that, he might not be able to go off for his usual amount. And obviously that the domino effect that has with the Nets, given the, that he's their alpha dog, obviously that means big trouble. So I, I think that was definitely a part of it. You know, I, I really think you look at the, the, the lack of shooting definitely caught up with them. I mean, you mentioned Joe Harris, you know, that kind of led to Patty Mills getting overworked throughout the season. And he didn't really give them anything in the playoffs. Seth Curry was like on one leg, as we saw with him just getting ankle surgery. So, I, I think as as much as Kevin's performance, you know, was a was a domino point, you know, they they still had a lot working against them from the rest of the roster. And I, th- I mean, I want to say we even talked about our last time together on here, you know, just the lack of non-shooters and the offensive spacing problems that creates, and and the onus it puts. You know, I, I think a lot of that stuff just kind of built, um, can, you know, kind of almost like built up in like a filter and, and kind of led to some of this too. No, I think that's right. Um, it, I, and I think that that is a, that is something that's not unique to the nets where you see a lot of these teams where there is that domino effect of one player is hurt and then another player has to pick up the slack and runs out of gas. I mean, it, you know, uh, it wasn't over the course of the season, but, but I think that there was uh, certainly the second half that, that Giannis had in game seven against Boston, I think is is attributable in many ways to having no Chris Middleton, um, and maybe even further back, like the amount of energy he expended over the year defensively for them from them having no Brook Lopez for most of the year, and and you know those are some glaring absences. But I think that your your point about Patty Mills is a good one. I mean, he was he seemed like he was always brought in to be kind of a regular season innings eater, and then he ended up having to you know do a lot more because you know of reasons we don't need to. <laughs> I don't think we need to detail, you know, the 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 um, the travails backcourt this season in detail. But I mean, I, the, the 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 upshot of that was Patty Mills probably played. I don't know. Would you say seven hundred more minutes than 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 he and they were probably expecting him to play? Yeah, you know, you look at his career splits between, especially San Antonio, because I mean, you know, when he was a Blazer, obviously he wasn't as established with what he does now. You know, he, he broke his career mark for, for three-pointers made in, the, in a season around the All-Star break, I believe. You know, his, his minutes per game were way higher than his career average. His scoring, obviously, as a result of that. I mean, really across the board, he just was never really used the way he had been in San Antonio this season. And, you know, also, I mean, even though he's, you know, only six one or so, obviously... His shooting is the big thing, but they were trying to have him initiate offense, and, you know, this isn't a knock to Patty to me. It's just not really who he is. Like, he just really doesn't have the time that that team needs when it comes to, as we said, you know, the lack of shooters and kind of the ways you have to get creative offensively. It, it You know, you talk about the, the minutes and everything, but these were the areas he was going to focus in. I mean, he was just kind of on a pie chart from a usage perspective by the end of this thing. Sure. Um, 
So the the big, I mean, I, I don't want to get too much into the weeds of the individual things, but the, the the main upshot is again, this was a season of of chaos, and it seems like it's continued into the off season. Um, I think uh, uh, we we talked a little bit around the time, but it really seemed like in the the postseason press conference, uh, Sean Marks. I don't don't want to say he addressed the 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 the, the sort of the chaos head on, but he certainly uh, made no secret that that he wasn't happy with sort of the 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 way things had played out. So, what do you read into that? I mean, is, should that be taken as I think most people have taken it as? sort of direct shots at Kyrie or, or, you know, what's going on here and what, and kind of what, what's the, what are the steps forward now for the Nets, you know, based on, on those comments and, and kind of what you're hearing. Yeah. You know, I, I'm curious for your own thoughts on this too, as a, as a former front office guy, I think a lot of what the Nets say with Kyrie should come with a grain of salt after they sidelined him at the beginning of the season, took this hard stance, etc., And then, I mean, they let him back part-time halfway through the season, and you kind of see where it went from there. So I, I think they've taken this hard line before, but then they've kind of given in. So I, I'm very much in wait-and-see mode. To me, honestly, the most interesting thing that's come from, like, the offseason that has nothing to do with Sean Marks but relates to Kyrie Irving is the report from ESPN about Nike potentially cutting ties with him after his contract's up. Kyrie Irving, I was working on a story on this that kind of got derailed once he came back part-time, but even after everything that happened last year, he was still Nike's um, top-selling signature shoe last year, um, according to a retail analyst I spoke to. So, like, he didn't really cost Nike money from everything that's gone on. And for Nike to kind of say that they might have had enough with him really makes me wonder where this is all going. So... I, I don't see the Nets parting ways with Kyrie because of him and Ky- Kevin Durant's relationship, but also, I mean, we can go into this, but, like, what does his market look like and who can they replace that keeps them competitive from a contention standpoint if he is healthy? You know, someone uh, someone uh, around the league I was talking to after the Nets season, and he goes, you know, you cover a weird team. Like, if everybody's healthy next year and Ben Simmons is healthy and fits the way everyone thinks he will – it wouldn't stun me if they make the finals, but like it also wouldn't stun me if you have another early vacation next year. The, 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 the volatility remains that, that rangy. So is that a word, rangy? It, it is now. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I don't really think um, I don't really think Kyrie Irving is going anywhere. And I'm interested in your opinion on this, again, as the front office guy, like, People are talking about like a pay-for-play type contract or whatever. I couldn't imagine the union going uh, being crazy about that. But I mean, is there even any precedent for that? I I can't really, uh, as 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 logical of an idea as it is, I just can't find any reason to think that it would actually happen. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I mean, I think that the, the the there's the the upper bound on how much of a contract can be incentive based is is I think probably the upper limit on you know what we're talking about here. I mean, you can art, you can negotiate all kinds of partial guarantees based on game previous seasons and stuff like that. But um, I, yeah, there, there's, I, I feel like there's a very limited um, kind of window of, of opportunity there. Um, back to your previous point about the grain of salt with the, with the hard stance. I'm wondering, I mean, could you interpret it the other way in that you just, you sort of, you know, you, you only have to touch a hot stove once and they, you know, they, 
played, they, they took the hard line and they softened. I think it's, I mean, would your reporting agree with that softening was largely due to Durant saying, Hey, we need this guy back. Um, but regardless, I mean that they, they, they did, you know, reverse course on that. And I think that, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think you have to, you know, look, pull very hard at that thread to see like a lot of the downstream effects that had. So I'm wondering if like, no, seriously, we mean it this time and they might actually mean it because that like they've, they've sort of experienced what it means to not mean it. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. You know, I, I definitely think, you know, if you remember part of the Durant argument with some of this was just the workload that Harden and Durant had a, as a result of no Kyrie. So I, I definitely think that's, that's, that there's some legs there, but if that's the case, I mean, like, you know, as you said, they they come out with a hardline sense, but then if someone says something behind the scenes with influence like Kevin Durant or Joe Sy, maybe there's uh, maybe there's that 180 we see again. So, I I definitely think that they want to gauge his commitment and everything, but um, and and there's going to be some hard conversations. But I just don't believe. I, I just have a hard time giving Kyrie's track record of believing it's going to go anywhere. You know, I mean, we've had 10 years of Kyrie in the league, if not more. You know, we have a pretty good sample size for who he is and how he operates. I just, I think it's wishful thinking to think that at this stage in his career that some of this stuff is going to change, especially given how long that he's been able to operate like this. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, and that leads me to, you know, you say you can't foresee them cutting ties with him. I wonder, I mean, like, that's, there's obviously the the contractual part of it, but, I mean, the, 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 you know, the the sort of the partner, the perceived partnership with KD. Um, I'm wondering if that sort of goes away. If KD, like, like my, now these questions are coming from a place of, of bias on my part. And I'll freely admit this. One of the things that having just railed against, like, you know, not taking, uh, you know, big overall overarching narratives about what does and doesn't work in the playoffs. What one thing that I've become a pretty much a hardliner on, on this, after this playoffs is if you're trying to do something in the postseason, you can't rely on unreliable guys. And I don't mean that doesn't mean you can't rely on inconsistent players. Like there are guys who might be up and down game to game in terms of performance, but you can't rely on guys who are not sure you know, if they're going to be there or if they're if they're their head's going to be right or if they they are going to you know play in the the style that you want to play. And and I, you know I, I don't think like obviously like name one A on that list is Kyrie Irving. Right, I mean, am I, am I am I hot taking by going there? Like, I just I, if I'm trying to win a title, I just don't want him on my team. I think is what it comes down to. Yeah, I mean, so, something I said after the season is that you know the two of the Nets' big three are arguably right now the two most unreliable players in the NBA, just from an attendance standpoint, right? And that's where I think it's that's why it's a lot for my brain to take right now. If, you know, let's let's just for people keep talking about Ben Simmons as a fit and what what could happen. Let's just see him on the court before we go anywhere else. You know what I mean? Because that itself hasn't been a thing for a while. You know, and, and with Kyrie, as you, as you were saying, you know, I mean, he's missed more games for the Nets than he's played in these three years. Some of that's been injury, some of it's been other stuff. But, I mean, it, it, it's just from, as you said, the dependability standpoint on, it's tough based on just the hard games played numbers to really get behind it. And it almost feels like you... All right, yeah, as you say, Simmons not the most, you know, reliable in terms of availability either, but it, it, it seems like I would want to, you know, put start with, with Katie and Simmons and, and see what else we can put around them and, and kind of 
almost uh, almost harken back to you know a supercharged version of the the pre Durant and Irving like the 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 the, the I don't know the team culture is overused but that was a that was a hard playing you know uh, gritty team that 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 Kenny Atkinson had put together and so maybe getting back to some of that and there's still plenty of the same players around uh, getting back to some of that with the addition of like a superstar scorer and Kevin Durant, I think you might have something. But I just don't know if that's on the if that's on the if that even an option that's on that's plausibly on the table. Well, you know what's interesting is, you know, something else again. How much we take Sean Marks' word? He talked about bringing in culture oriented guys um, for the off season, and I, I think it's it's not a bad idea. But you know, I think part of the problem is that you look at some of the Nets guys who I think have been good locker room influences. You know, the production issues have been mixed in the sense of, you know, Jeff Green had a great year, was a good locker room guy, Garrett Temple, career year, but not a guy you want to lean on in the playoffs. So I just think if you look at if you look at um if you look at who they can add from like a, a someone else floated to me, curious for your thoughts on him, you know, like Kyle Anderson on the MLE comes from Memphis where they've learned to win without some of their stars. Uh, also a very good friend of Kyrie's. I just wonder, can you really, with their veteran minimums, in, you know, get some of that tough-nosed culture-type guys in that also give you something on the court? Because as we've learned, because of their attrition, every roster spot is important for them. Yeah, no, but I mean, I think that the part of that is why, like, you can't, I, I would imagine that just, like, you know, like, telling Kyrie to just stay home is not, not tenable for them yes. next year. But so if it's just some free up that that you know that pot of money on the roster, if nothing else, it, like that would be my preference. I just don't, I don't, I don't think it's possible. Let me like, and it doesn't. It, Let and, me, and as you say, it doesn't seem like there's there's necessarily if they're talking about bringing in other friends of Kyrie. Or I don't know. I don't know if the Kyle Anderson thing is coming is something I was suggesting. Oh no, it was a mailback question. Like, okay, okay. I see. Like, because that's like. Almost going to like bringing in more of Kyrie's guys is almost like no, that's the opposite of what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, um, it just but it doesn't seem like there there is the the willingness to really to really uh, it's not blowing it up. You still have Kevin Durant, but really doing a, a a pretty strong remodel on the house doesn't seem like something that's in the offing. Food for thought, Seth. If the Nets were to move on from Kyrie Irving, who would be the star that is gettable to you that you would want, that, that if you were there in their front office, you would want them to pursue from either a fit standpoint or just gettable standpoint? You know, again, I don't know what they have left to trade, but... Uh, but I, I don't know if it's a star. I think it's, I think it's like, it, would you rather have Kyrie or two to three good players? And that, so that's, you know, I, I don't think it's like, you know, who, who is a, who is a possibly available star? I, I can't even, you know, it gets us in the realm of speculating about, you know, other, other team, other players' teams, but just getting some, getting some more dudes who can, who can come in, getting to the point where they can have, you know, eight, nine guys and look in, and show multiple looks with, you know, the uh, guys who can both shoot and defend, and and you know those those multi-skilled players that we see are that we see every year in the playoffs are so important. Um, now, you know, I may, I may be asking for a unicorn here, but 
you know, I think it's that feels more potentially successful than than the well, maybe it'll work for us. Um, you know, the the Arrested Development meme of of of, of maybe this guy will maybe this guy will be reliable for us this time. Yeah. No, I and I mean, I'm to shout out Kevin Arnovitz. I thought his story on super teams in the NBA right now and how these ones that have been kind of, you know, thrown together from guys that weren't in-house before, I think is really shown with the Nets because, as you said, those Kenny Atkinson teams didn't have a star and they were kind of by committee. And then ever since Katie and Kyrie came, who were not part of that, it's obviously changed. So I uh, I agree that not necessarily the three-star model is the answer. I just kind of wonder, as you said, I mean, first they have to free up the cap space and how they choose to use it because, you know, we talked about the Celtics series a bit. I thought one of the biggest things that I took away from the Nets sweep from the Celtics was the glaring lack of two-way players they have on the roster. And again, we've talked about um, we've talked about the uh, you know building around Kevin Durant and uh, and some of the some of the non-shooter flaws, but just the lack of guys that can both. I thought. The Suns were one of my title picks before recent uh, events because I thought that they were good at having defensive-oriented players who could also get them a bucket. I thought that is a glaring hole with the Nets right now. I mean, I, for up up until a week ago, they they, they were that. <laughs> yes, and, yes. And then and then who knows what happened? I mean, that's a like the, dissecting what happened to the Suns is going to be a uh, is going to be a, a fun off-season game. Um, but yeah, no, I I think that's right. Um, though, I mean, the, the, the Nets do start from, uh, you know, having a higher, you know, whatever you think of, of, of Chris Paul and Devin Booker, Kevin Durant is a higher echelon of individual creator. So that probably gives you a little bit more cushion in terms of, 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 of having a, you know, having a Jay Crowder or a Cam Johnson or something like that be somewhat responsible for offensive stuff because the, the advantage situations are going to be put in. But I think... Like, I'm just, you know, I'm not even, uh, I, you know, I probably should have looked at a cap sheet or something like that. But um, you mentioned, you know, Kyle Anderson from Memphis. Like, you know, I'm, I'm almost like look like a player like Tyus Jones or something like that. Like, is he a, is he a starting point guard in the NBA? He's probably not the, he's not a top echelon starting point guard in the NBA. But are you, like, are you a, like, is that a more balanced team? If, like, you, you need Tyus Jones, a couple decent wings. Or something like that. Or Tyus Jones, a decent wing, and you know maybe a a more prime like big than than uh, than Andre Drummond, who you know would gave them good stuff from once once they acquired him. But just kind of fill some of the holes that way. I, like, are you a better team, assuming you know assuming health from Durant and Simmons? I think uh, so. Yeah. I I would take that because you know. Something I've pointed out in, since the offseason, I think the Nets' point guard depth has just been screwed since Kyrie signed because he gets hurt early in the year, then Spencer Dinwiddie's starting. He was supposed to be the sixth man to run the second-team offense. Their second-string point guard and third-string point guard options become Garrett Temple and Theo Pinson, who are just not built for that role. Then you go last season, Dinwiddie tears his ACL early on. And Harden and Durant, you know, I, I would figure that Dinwiddie probably gets thrown into the trade for Harden in some way if he's healthy. But 
still, those guys were just never healthy enough to really establish the one-two uh, rapport they needed during that last season at point guard. And then this season, you know, Kyrie's away for a while. I actually thought Goran Dragic, I've made a case before some people that he deserves, you know, if they strike, like, I would rather have Tyus Jones right now than Goran Dragic as my second string point guard. But I don't think Goran Dragic is a bad plan B or C potentially, given what he gave them, his familiarity with Nash. He had a good series against the Celtics. But, uh, but in short, no, I think that they've never really had a established backup point guard since Kyrie signed, and I think that it's hurt them in the past. And getting a Tyus Jones-type guy would absolutely go a long way because of that. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've, we've, we've mentioned Simmons a couple times, and I, I haven't heard a, a good explanation of, like, the timeline of, of you know, his... I mean, I think that, that, that uh, we're past the point of, of people being able to reasonably doubt the sincerity of, I mean, there's obviously something wrong. But was this an injury he was carrying with him? Did he hurt? Did he aggravate or hurt something at trying to ramp up after getting traded from Philly? What do you know about sort of what has actually happened there and what the what his recovery timeline and prognosis for next year is? Yeah, you know, I I've one of my projects has been since the season ended of of trying to get the definitive situation. It, it seems like there wasn't any issues over this until he got traded. And he was in a decent place ramping up until the back came back on him. Um, the, and, and he's supposed to be in good shape for next season. What, what worries me is many moons ago, Seth, I was Michael Porter Jr.'s beat writer at Missouri when he got the exact huh. same surgery Simmons did. And he has not, I mean... He's, he's looked great when healthy, but he's also had two back surgeries since. So I really worry about what happens to Ben from here, given all that. But um, but it, it appears, you know, that he... And he also takes a whole L this offseason by not being able to work out with the team or anything. So uh, I'm led to believe that, that what's been put out there of... He was preparing to play for 10, 15 minutes, and his back was getting to a good place, and then it spiked on him. He pulls out, and they're kind of left with no choice for surgery. Is true. What I don't get, I asked, and that's multiple times, if they ever thought about shutting him down, and it seems like a no. You know, the, the way they talked after the season, they always, they always kind of seemed like it, they kind of got the idea towards the end of the year it wasn't their year. I just wonder if you're them, why didn't you shut him down? And I mean, hindsight 2020, I feel like if you could shut him down to avoid back surgery, that seems like the smarter play. So I, I just don't understand why. The, and, and this is where I can't really get the question answered. Like, why wasn't that ever really seriously considered when the long game for them, even though it's win now, it just made more sense given the nature of the year. And you could have avoided back surgery instead of really trying to push to see if he could play. Yeah. I do wonder if, if given that, you know, Aaron was, has been talking about like myself, definitely heard has been talking about how like unpredictable a playoffs this would be this year, not really having a great gauge of team strength. I think that plays into it. Even if you've got the sense of it's not our year, it's like, yeah, but we don't really know what he has. So why not? Um, I, I can certainly see. And I, I agree with you that like, committing to a course and, and going all in on that course is probably is generally better, but I can totally see how trying to, you know, 
dip a toe in each pond is is how it you know not, not make like not making a decision is making a decision but it can feel like you're actually you know foreclosing any option by not decision and and it seems like it was more just of an inertial thing but again from the outside that's that's how i would read it um so but to to clarify though there's no indication that there was any sort of uh, I mean, because this this has I mean, this obviously has implications. Like for for those who are listening that don't know, like the the trade call when a guy gets traded, the details like injury stuff is incredibly detailed, and and you know teams can get in pretty deep trouble for omitting things on a trade call. So if there was an issue, they they would have known about it. And I don't think, uh, frankly, given the situation, I think you still make the trade knowing about it. It's just a question of whether this was a known thing or it's something that like arose, you know, after he, you know, after they got him in the building. Yeah. Privately, I have been told that it wasn't something that arose until after they got in the building. I, I want to ask Sean Marks that question. And if he seeks, if he sought to seek additional compensation from Philly, which I mean, you know, on one hand, there isn't, um, you know, I know the precedent is like the Jeff Green trade with Boston, I think, netted uh, an extra second-round pick because of his heart down the line. You know, again, not the richest of uh, of rewards, but also if you're the Nets with no draft picks, I think any pick is better than no pick for them to have in their back pocket. Um, but I've everything well, I've been told privately... Yeah, they, ha- they, they mean, have the I mean, one give, for this year the- or next year. Yeah. They don't have a lot. They don't have a lot, though. I mean, I figure having something, getting something yeah, else yeah. out of, out of this is better than nothing. Was my whole, was my whole thing. Yeah, I know. I know yeah. they're not looking at anything amazing, but even just to squeeze Philly a little more, given the way it's gone, I mean, why not? Oh, although I, I this, <laughs> maybe given given what we saw from Harden, maybe maybe that's it's yeah, uh, it's just uh, everyone agrees to let sleeping die and and. and pretend this never happened ever speak of it again might just be <laughs> the way yeah. everyone deal with it but um no no, no a, a random um, question would you keep their pick for 2022 if you were them or would you push it to 23 i think there's you know there's a case to be made for both sides i feel like the longer they have it the longer they have a better idea to trade it and also as you mentioned with harden you know if the line is 23rd overall for that philly pick next uh this year's is 23rd overall and that's a line for next year's I would tend to lean 70-30 that the Nets pick next year would be a little higher than 23rd overall. So uh, uh, just a penny for your thoughts on what you would do if you were them with that. I think I would, I think I would, uh, I would push it just, you know, for, you know, A, upside, B, um, just the ability to, to use it to help get better next year. C, I think that using that, that salary and roster spot, um, on on a more established player is is very likely to help them more next year than a than a late first round rookie would be. So I think all these things sort of contribute to to I'd rather push it a year if I was them. Um, and whether you know whether that pick helps them move off some salary they don't want or helps them acquire someone or or whatever, just it just it's it's a uh, it, it's a lot of it's, it's a lot more flexibility for a team that that needs to add talent and fit now then you know you know the guy who will be ready to contribute in two years um which is you know the the the, the likely 
back end of, of kind of this window. Um, that's, yeah, I mean, no, that, would I be, that would be, that would be my preference. Um, I just, I like, we, we were talking about James Harden. Were you surprised by what, what we saw from Harden in Philly? Like, like it looks, I mean, like, I, I don't think it's, it's, uh, I don't think I'm stretching to say he looks at, he looks at a diminished player. Um, is, 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 was that surprising to you or was that kind of what you had seen this year? Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like I kind of went through it in phases where he gets traded. And I was expecting him to kind of set the world on fire like he did to start the Nets last year where, you know, he leaves Houston kind of in an ugly manner and he's going to come in motivated and similar with the Nets. You know, he's he's going to have this hot start in Philly and then, you know, we'll kind of see where it goes. And so it went from when he had some of those early starts with the Sixers thinking, okay, like, this is the guy I thought we would see all year. And, you know, clearly there was some Kyrie stuff there and, and maybe some other things. But then as it went on, especially in the playoffs, like, James Harden, if you look at Milwaukee, that Milwaukee series when he came back last year, he nearly had a triple-double in Game 7 on one leg, still diminished, but trying to do everything he could. I just felt like he he's definitely less of what... Um, of what he was, and it, it was interesting, you know, people keep saying the hamstring, the hamstring, the hamstring, well, he has five months now to figure the hamstring out, and see how much of a thing that's actually been the past few years, so, when he had, I'm trying to remember what game it was in that Heat series, where he had the coming out party, or, or maybe a one-night stand's a better way to put it, since it, it, it was short-lived, but I thought, uh, I thought maybe we were going to see a little more of the, the Harden from Brooklyn last year, but by the end of the series, I was just kind of convinced that this is who he is now. So people keep saying, oh, there's pre-hamstring hard and post-hamstring hard. Well, like, at some point, we have to kind of uh, move on from that. If, if this is who he is to start next season, this is just who he is. So to me, he has this summer to prove uh, that this is not the James Harden of the, of the future. But I, I, have, I think that this is just who he is now. I mean, you can say pre-hamstring, post-hamstring. He's 33 to start next season, and he's got a lot of mileage, and he's he is, um, you know, he's never been sort of the uh, a, a monkish player who whose body is a temple. Um, so, so I mean, the, the fact that he's the, the fact that he would be, you know, slowing down some, I don't think I don't think should be surprising. I think in some ways, I think LeBron has like warped us for. For what players' aging should look like, because yeah. this is like, I mean, like you know, if you told me, hey, he's a thirty-three-year-old star starting to slow down, like in in a vacuum, knowing nothing else, like, would you be surprised? No. Um. So, <laughs> and so, he had. Uh, the only, only thing I was gonna say, you know, he James Harden himself would be quick to point out to you, as he has me, that he has never had a surgery before. You know, he's not like. He had prior to last season, so that that's why I lean more toward Father Time, just because, as you said, like he's not this guy where the medical on him in years past was um was this extensive phone call and all that. I mean, he he's been very durable for most of his career, which is why I lent to think it's Father Time more than anything else, because you can't say, well, you know, he's had that shoulder worked on three times and it's been coming with that. Or you know Blake Griffin with his knees, or some of these guys, you know, Mike, you know, starting to be Dwight, you know, Dwight Howard with his back, etc. So that that's why I'm more likely to say this is who he is going forward because 
you really can't point to a part of his body and say, yeah, I mean, that thing's been under the knife a ton of times, or, or you know, he's had trouble with that for years. I mean, that, that really isn't the case, historically. So, I mean, just, just based on that, you, I mean, you have to, regardless of how the season played out, I think you that, like, just that almost makes the, just that and not being on the, on the hook for whatever this next contract is, you almost have to say that the, that, like, I, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's hyperbole, but Simmons never playing a game for Brooklyn, that, that pick, that trade could still have been a good trade for them based on, on what, yes. what is likely to happen next on the other side. Um, I want to end. I like. I want to end with a couple of. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I, my last random question for you was based on everything we've just yeah. said. If if James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant stay healthy and get along harmoniously this year, based on what we've seen out of Harden, I personally do not think they would have had enough to win the whole thing. Tell me, I'm crazy. <sighs> Man, I don't know. Um, I think a lot of that it, it depends on on you know. What what do you I mean what's the what's the closing lineup like is that is that enough offense enough scoring on the floor that you can play them and and Bruce Brown and Nick Claxton together and then that that gets you like just enough defense and you know you get some energy and some switchability in Brown and Claxton and like you know in the playoffs Durant is typically a player um, so I don't I man uh, it's tough to say I mean you know given Given that even whoever like this is not going to be a year with a um, much like most of the like it's, uh, the every I'll say every like post Warriors champion this is not going to be like a, an all time team that that wins the title this year I don't think as good as I think Boston is and they're my pick to win it to win it all at this point like they're not you know some you know un, un, unassailable mega team that, you know, that, that kind of squad wouldn't have had a chance against. Um, so, do I mean, there's, I, I, even in retrospect, there were seven teams that, that had a legit chance, title chance, and the Nets would have been one of them. How you, how you rate that, you know, healthy and, and you know, absence of, of Murphy's Law? I don't know. Um, yeah, they're, they're, I don't they're, think there's a definitive answer. I just yeah. think it's interesting food for thought is all. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's... I mean, does Harden reach this point if 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 all that happens? Is the, you know, that's a very. And there's so many sliding doors things, you know. If he if he had, had didn't have to carry the workload he did the first bit of the season, does he hold up better, or is it just or is it just inevitable? Were there just only so many jumps in the knees? I don't know. So it's a an unanswerable question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to get you out of here. I got uh, um. Uh, Corbin Ford, former uh, student of mine at Sports Business Classroom, who is uh, interning in the program this year, uh, passed along two questions on Twitter that I wanted to get your your thoughts on real quick, and and use those to segue into, you know, um, predictions that no one could possibly hold you to about what uh, what roster moves the Nets make this offseason. His first question was between uh, Claxton and Bruce Brown, which one is more likely to be back next year. I think Nick Claxton, um, you know, I, I think the Nets are prepared to match most offer sheets for him, and I don't know if he's going to get anything that crazy, especially given his injury history. Um, you know, and, and the other thing is, I, I think Bruce Brown's had a, been a great net. I'm not taking anything away from him. I, I Selfishly, I hope he's back because he's been great from a media perspective whenever I've needed him. But I would argue a 6'11", 
center who has ball handling ability and the potential to stretch the floor. I know he hasn't shot the three great, but he he the potential is there to build on. He didn't shoot a three this year, actually. But I think just from pure how many of those guys can you find, I think the Nets could probably find something similar to Bruce Brown somewhere than they could another Nick Claxton, which is my end. I would also um, – were you gonna say something? Or no, 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 no. I think I mean I think that as good. Like I think I agree with you on that. Like you just in, in the the and, and given you know it's probably the, the 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 necessity of a of a switchable big is probably overstated. The desirability of one has not, and there aren't that many guys of that size with with the mobility that that, that Claxton has shown over over his his, his career so far. Yeah, and, and as you said, I mean, it's a team you have to. You just asked, you know, with the closing lineup, with the hypothetical on Harden, you know, where the defense come from. He's been probably their best defender in the past two years, as you said. He's switchable. You know, he's held his own against some of the best. You know, he gave Dame Lillard some trouble when he he faced him, and I just think it's easier to find as good as Bruce Brown is. I just think you are more likely to find a six-two, you know, six-three point guard like him. Who you can maybe develop into a short roller, or you know, give get some defense out of and and some energy somewhere, than than a guy like with Claxton's t- intangibles. So I uh, and the other thing is, I mean, Dayron Sharp is the only net center under contract as of right now for next season. You know, I, I think they need well, obviously they need more than just him, but um, I do think they need to get younger and more athletic. And you know, we talked about not having a, a firm cap sheet in front of us. I mean, the one thing I think is obvious is just given when you with their with their current contracts, you know, when you have bird rights on a guy that doesn't cut into your exception, you kind of have to capitalize on it, which is why I think both will be back probably. It's a fair point. Um, Corbin's other question was, uh, you know, kind of if you had any, if you had any, you mentioned Kyle Anderson already. If you had any any sort of uh, thoughts or predictions on kind of uh, you know veteran free agents they might target and land. And I'll use that to segue into kind of the final question is like, what, what do you think this team looks like on opening day next year? Yeah. What a, what a second question. Another. So um, if you remember, Seth, I had asked you a couple of weeks ago about using the, the player except the taxpayer exception, excuse me, on, on Isaiah Hartenstein. And you famously replied, that doesn't suck which I ran by another front office person currently working in a front office. And they're like, would you ask anybody else? I said, yeah, I asked part now. He said, that doesn't suck. He goes, I agree. That doesn't suck. Um, so I, I think that he would be a great target for them. But, um, but I, think, uh, I think the problem is that the, the Clippers can match that. And they were the ones that just revived his career. So I think they need to find somebody like him, like this year's Isaiah Hartenstein. Um, Someone talked to me about, you know, with the shooting, do you get a guy like Joe Ingles who maybe can't give you what you need defensively but give you some of the shooting? Another person floated, uh, you know, John Hollinger floated to me, you know, Caleb Martin where it's kind of flipped, you know, more defense than uh, – than... I like that. I, I yeah. like that. I like that a lot. That's that, – I mean, that's, that's like that's, – I, I'm surprised he hasn't had a bigger playoff role for Miami, uh, uh, frankly. Um and yeah. they might, they might, they might I, think him, it, I think it, yeah, I, I think he makes a lot of sense. And, um, he, he, Hartenstein and, and Caleb Martin to me are kind of the two. If, if 
I know I can get them. Like, those would be the two I definitely go for. In terms of what they look like on opening day, man, like, the the thing I kind of wonder about is I'd like to think Joe Harris is back, but, you know, I don't even know what his market would be with coming off of two ankle surgeries. I just kind of wonder, is there some kind of package they can find with maybe the draft pick, him giving his salary? You know, you can't get Jeremy Grant with any of that, but, like, is there some type of trade they can swing to get some kind of contributing guy? Um... But I, I think opening day next year will be Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. I, I don't want to commit to Ben Simmons at all, because um, just who knows. And uh, and I, I think that there'll be a better offensive team with Joe Harris healthy and Patty Mills able to play a more normal role and Seth Curry. You know, those guys alone will give you a lot of o- of options. I, I just think the front court will be Nick Claxton, maybe Dayron Sharp plays some, and then after that, I really don't know. I mean, I don't know who they go and get that that makes a ton of sense for them. That, you know, isn't some guy that's over the hill like, like Griffin and, and Aldridge. Because I think one of the problems is that they've, they've relied too much on guys who are over the hill. And that's kind of what helped get them here too. So I, I think you'll see a similar roster with Irving, Durant, uh, Harris, Brown, and Claxton. Uh, and then the rest to me is, is, pretty, uh, is pretty much a, a toss-up. Well, that's, that, 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 that's, well, I certainly can't hold you that prediction. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think that that's, I mean, I think everyone is what, like there's, they have about as wide open an off season in, in those terms, in terms of how they fill around as, as any of the, the you know, sort of the top teams in the league. And there be, I think a lot of competition for sort of the, you still got something, but credible veteran, like, I mean, Milwaukee obviously is going to be looking for those players. The Lakers are going to be looking for those players, you know, um, uh, you imagine the, the, the Sixers, and, and so it's they, they, it's it's almost they're going to have to win war to say no. This is the best place. The, you have to convince people. No, really, this is the the best place to come win a ring, and that's to go to come full circle. Like that's that's kind of where I think Kyrie hurts them a little bit. Is you know, hey, come play with Giannis. Like you know what you're getting. Yeah. Right? Or yeah. Um. So. Anyway, I I'm I'm fascinated to see how this all plays out because you know they, they you know the, there's the on paper best version of the Nets starts next season as one of the the three or four title favorites, but I don't know if we I don't know if we get there. Yeah, no, I I agree. Nothing would surprise me from a first round exit next year to going all the way, and uh, I I think what makes it interesting kind of like what you said, you know, the Nets kind of won the buyout market that year with Aldridge and Griffin, but after that. It hasn't really been the case, and, and I do think that like this past season is going to impact them in free agency, and maybe they miss out on the first round of guys because they just have other options, and Phoenix with Monty Williams and some of that stability, or, or the Bucks being this you know well-run machine that was maybe a health, healthy Chris Middleton away from repeating, we'll never know, but I just think that if you have multiple options among the contenders, there are just better options in the Nets right now. And I, I just think that that's going to be a hard thing for them to, to work around. That's, I mean, that, that, it's amazing how that changes, given that they were like, it was like the destination that got these like two and then three guys to join up together. And, you know, two years, like not, not even, I, I, I don't even know how, how long it is in, in real time since all that happened because it has no meaning anymore. But, but it, it went from this, you know, a place that was a destination to a place you're worried about just that fast. It's amazing how quickly things can turn. Absolutely. Absolutely. Never a dull day in Brooklyn. 
All right. Well, it sounds like you are uh, in a wind tunnel now, so I will uh, I will keep you from uh, from blowing away. And uh, uh, thanks for thanks for joining. It's, uh, it, was, it was great to catch up with you, and I along I will uh, watch along with you as uh, the Nets try to put the pieces back together after after what was a uh, I don't know would you say catastrophic uh, end to their season? Um, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, if you really want to know what I'm doing, I borrowed I borrowed a uh, I borrowed a friend's book four years ago for a story. It's a basketball book from the '80s, and uh, I'm going to return it because I the overdue date is four years, and uh, I don't know the next <laughs> I'm going to get to see this guy. <laughs> what, and since uh, your book what, was not out, was I can it, say like? it was not the mid-range theory. It was yeah, a book what? by I did a story on college basketball coaches that used to teach a class uh, back in the day when the the industry allowed that. You know, really the time you had allowed for it. And uh, it's a book Norm Stewart wrote in 1980 about that he used for his teaching basketball course. About Some of it holds up more than you'd think, actually, but about from off-season workouts to floor spacing, even back in the 80s. Um, it's funny, you know, he had in bold in one of the sections, you know, we will not switch on defense unless we absolutely, possibly have to. And to me, that's one of the things <laughs> that just aged so differently in, uh, yeah. in the 40 years it is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh. That actually sounds fascinating. Um, I'll have to try to see if I can find that. Um, well, yeah. uh, uh, well, re- return your overdue book, and uh, thanks for thanks for jumping on. I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, I'll probably talk to you close to the start of next off se- next season to to see what to see how it's shaken out. For sure. Take care, Seth. Always yep. a pleasure, my man. Absolutely. Thanks for thanks for listening along. I believe I will be back tomorrow with Sam Vecini. Uh, it's, it's, we're approaching draft time. I know nothing about any of the draft picks this year. So, uh, Sam is going to help me help educate me. And then later in the week, uh, Jared Dubin and I are going to come in and, and try to make any sense at all about what's happened in the playoffs this year. And we'll probably fail, but it'll be a lot of fun trying. So thanks for listening and talk to you all again tomorrow.